what what were you, it's a plosive. Plosive. There you go. It's a plosive. It's actually a bilabial, voiceless plosive. So if you have if your two lips come together and you explode air through them, but that's <clears throat> you're not using your voice to do that. You're just doing it with air. Whereas a a voiced plosive would be something like b because you have a b. Mm-hmm. There's b and. <laughs> you the things what, you learn in graduate school. How about a glottal? You know what a glottal is? <laughs> yeah. For we, example, uh, most people, some people mispronounce Hawaii. Is it Hawaii? It's Hawaii. Oh. Hawaii. And that little tick in your throat. Yeah. I don't know if the scientific name, but with singers, it was called a glottal. Did you yeah. put a glottal yeah. in there? It's a glottal. Yeah. A glottal stop. A glottal stop, right. Yeah, it's not, not too common in English. I mean, no. depending on the dialect. So right. if you're going to do balls, I'm going to drink a ball of beer. A ball of beer. <laughs> oh, well. But here we are. We drank all the beer yesterday, so we're now we're stuck with wine. <laughs> <laughs> so what other big words do you know, Mike? The. Out of your 500 that he draws. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you snuck in some, I think I was reading something years the other day, and I actually had to go to the dictionary. I thought, this guy... He's I know what it was. I used I used a dithyrambic. Do you remember that dithyrambic. one? Dithyrambic. That's yeah, exactly I what know. it was. I know. I was I was pulling that one out my ass, right? So tell us what it means. Well, I was writing about, you know, Beaujolais Nouveau, which is French wine, and then Dionysus is uh, the god of wine. Right. And then the way that they would speak to the god of wine, or it would sing songs to the god of wine that are called dithyrams. So if I'm feeling rather dithyrambic. <laughs> there were a couple of guys last night that were singing about wine. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Yes, yes, you're, the lister, you sh- you're the listener. should know that we are the three survivors of yesterday's Bastille Day party. Mm-hmm. The last dog standing. We're all, they, lay, they came. They ate all the sausage. They ate all the meat. Yep. Drank all the beer. Drink all, all the wine. All the wine? All of it. I see an empty bottle of tequila over there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was a disaster. That yeah. was, I but, didn't touch it. Readers, I had no tequila. Let it be known that the people that were smart enough to wait until midnight got fresh chicken drummies off the grill. Thanks to a certain Acme Academy member who was paying attention. That would be Rick Chrisman. Our Which host. brings me to our first question out of the mailbag. This is from Betty Jo Bielowski in Hinsdale, Illinois, who wants to know, how do I tell you guys apart? <laughs> Nobody's got an answer to that. Well, I mean, obviously, we put on the name tags this time, so you could tell. Well, it makes you think there's more than one of us, huh? We're all manifestations of the same diseased brain. Because we never talk at the same time. Could just be one person, right? <laughs> Yeah, man. <laughs> no one's ever you know. seen us in the same room together. <laughs> well, well, okay. In case you're wondering, it's Mike Magnuson who uses all the big words like dithyrambic, right? And Bob Clark, who's we don't we don't know what his voice sounds like because he just sits there. He's not. He's even never talking. been here. <laughs> <laughs> and you you definitely know who I am because I I talk way too much. So the voice of reason. But you know what? Who cares who we are, right? So let's go to something else. I'm going to mix them up. 
Okay, here's from, from Stephanie Lilligard in Portland, Oregon, who I think we heard from yesterday. But yeah. she's got, she is a person full of questions. She is. And we are people full of answers. So it's a marriage made in heaven, right? Okay, mm -hmm. Stephanie wants to know, what do the working writers at Acme think about a person's innate ability to cross genres? I think she's making a gender joke here, but hmm. be, should you be genre fluid? Is there a line between, is there a line between these things at all? Okay, now that's an interesting question. Is there, we have, we've already established that there's not much of a line between fiction and nonfiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. You guys are yeah, really no. tired, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> no, Clark is, as they say in Shakespeare, winding up the watch of his wit. And by and by, it will strike. I'm waiting for a trigger. <laughs> Give me something to feed on. <laughs> okay, Bob. So what do you think? Gender fluidity? No, genre fluidity. Oh, because well, I'm cool with gender fluidity. fluid. Stephanie, you see what you're doing to us? You know what? That's. I was raised by... Uh, in a female household. And my father was killed when I was still a little boy, and it was just my mother and my three older sisters. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend to understand women. <laughs> like any man, I, they're a mystery to me. But I think when it comes to writing... Like any man, they're a mystery to you? Well, mystery like, any, well? like any man, that's, yeah, it's a mystery. Um, I think I, I, I feel real comfortable writing female characters. I've never written from the point of view of a female character, but I think I, I feel comfortable portraying women characters when I, when I write them. Um, that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I, I kind of, some, when I put a woman character in a story or whatever, she, I have a tendency to make her the better half. Well, duh. Well, yeah. right. Any married man should know that his wife's probably the better half. Hopefully, um, I, I, it's just. Yeah. I have two sisters. I had. I, I had all aunts. I had. I had, mm -hmm. I had only one uncle, whose name was Claude. Oh, I had an uncle Claude. Did you? Yeah. Oh my God, we had this like a Claude. So what? So your uncle Claude was. Yep. Yeah. Well, he was the gender only gender fluid, is what you're saying. <laughs> You know, I'm, this obviously, we were talking about genre fluidity, but this right. is fine to do this. this. Is fine. Well, I was just thinking, I, I think, I'm going to write the question that this is the answer to <laughs> while you guys go ahead and answer it. That sounds cool. You know, but I, I, I really, I, I uh, you know, we had this, we were having a party here this weekend and it was all guys, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and really in my life, you know, my, I have two daughters. I have I do two too. sisters. Wait, I have two daughters. We all have we all two, have two daughters. daughters. Right. Yeah, right. And I'm I'm used to hanging around with my wife most of the time. And yep. like all of a sudden it was just all guys. And they're just things that you don't think about. You know, like they, filling they, your fridge fuller. Like filling your fridge fuller? Just what they smell like even. I was thinking about that a lot. You know, like guys wearing cologne and stuff, which is like. Somebody I, who's wearing cologne? A few of them. You yeah, know, but I mean, I just, I hadn't, I haven't been around guys enough to notice that that's what they do even, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just always hanging around with women because that's who's in my family. My my yeah. dog is a girl dog. I you know yeah. I, I don't really like guys. Yeah. I had a lot of female influence growing up. Yeah, yeah, you do. And like you say, we all have daughters, and, and just raising daughters, you have to. It's a. I've never raised a son, but I have grandsons. You know, and I see the. 
how much different they are as children. Women are definitely uh, the ones that bring the uh, softness, oh. more kindness into the world. If it wasn't for women, if you, if you can imagine just nothing but a, uh, a town full of men, we'd be ripping each other's throats out in no time. Right, mm-hmm. which is, you know... Women keep us civilized. Are you, are you digging for another question? No, no, I'm just... I, it turns out that we do have a question that pertains to this. Okay. Because, Bob, you mentioned about how you've never written a woman's character. A woman's not from, point, a, point not from her POV. So not we have that. a letter from uh, Bozzi Anoli, who uh, is asking... She's a writer, mm-hmm. and she has trouble writing male characters. Mm-hmm. And how should she... What specific things she, could she do to write a male character? They gotta want to eat. Gotta want to eat like meat. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You, you know. I would suggest hang around some of the boys for a while, even, well, as see, long as the, you can stand. She does. It. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. You know, is is you talk about like. Like if you say that the women bring a softness to it, which I can see would probably offend people to say that. You know, it's mm-hmm. worth to it because it's just kind of an old school. But that doesn't mean it's incorrect. Mm-hmm. But then you look at like what what has happened to culture around the freaking world that's always been run by men. Ain't turned out too good, has it? No. You no. know, some, some good books and, and stuff like that. But, you know, it's bad. They haven't We haven't acquitted ourselves admirably. Well, along those lines... Here's the advice I would give to her. I would say if, if you want to write a character, a male character, just go ahead and write a female character and then change the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm well, saying? You'll get a way more interesting male character. It's true. Possibly. I mean, because seriously, why, why should, you know, any number, we can make generalities, you know, there are stereotypes and there are truths behind the stereotypes. Right. But when you get down to the specifics of a human individual, and I'm not just trying to sound PC, I'm just saying that's just the nature of the individual is, is any set of attributes, particular set of attributes can apply to either genre or any genre in between. Right. And I, th- I think this... this gender. No, no, we're talking about gender. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and in, the, in the art of writing narrative, this all comes to the fore in dialogue. You can't write narrative without people talking to each other. Right. And and it seems like a in the world at least I live in, you know, it, it, there's multiple genders running at one time. You know, I mean, it's mm. it's not it's not just guys and just women. You no. Know? So what you're saying is exactly right. Right. You know the what so characters. What drives a conversation among characters? They want something from each other, ideally, or yeah. so, for sure one character wants something from the other person, and that's the subtext for the conversation. And the mm-hmm. ideal situation is it goes both ways. Right. You know, and, and is that tied to gender? I mean, it can be an, it's an aspect of character for sure, you know. Right. But, you know, the, the basic want, if it's a plot element, you know, I, I want you to give me 20 bucks or something, you know. Yeah, that's what my dog said. Did we, did we tell that joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never had $20. No, before. never yeah. had $20 before. Okay, this is, from now on, Acme only gives punchlines. Right. Yeah. You can fill in the joke. I did so. that. We we went out to lunch today, and I came. I, I gave the punchline to a joke, and then didn't want to explain it to the waitress. Yeah. Yeah. What was the punchline? I was like, no, what the hell? I wrote the damn song. 
Because we were talking about, yeah, we'll come in and play your, we'll, we'll play music in your bar tonight. <laughs> she said, do you know? No. She said, what are you talking about? <sighs> okay, but in terms of uh, Stephanie's question, maybe it's a simple thing. I mean, she's just saying, like, if I think she's asking, you know, if you're a, a fiction writer, can you also write poetry, or are you just, you know, genetically a fiction writer? Or no. Can you write nonfiction? I think you can do it all, right? I think you can do it yeah. all. Jesus God, you can, you know. If you want to, you can do it. If you want to write poetry... You know, learn right. how to manage the lines and how to where, where to stop them and then jam them and stuff and write a goddamn poem. Mm-hmm. Screenplay, you know, I remember when I first was wanted to write screenplays, mm-hmm. my agent sent me three boxes, I mean big shipping boxes full of scripts. Mm-hmm. You know, this was yeah. in the day before, you know, they'd send you PDFs. Right. And she just said, read them and figure out how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, you know, it's such a prescribed structure and everything that- Right, uh, but where? I mean, that's a whole other thing. I don't, you know, screenwriting. That's not writing in the sense that these other things are. Not to dump on screenwriting, but the screenplay is only the, a schematic for. It's a piece of. It's an architectural diagram for how to create a narrative. Right. You still have to then go out and create it. Whereas fiction, nonfiction, poetry, it's all there on the page. Right. right? There's no other. But I'm, I would tell any student I've ever worked with, any writer, you know, like. There is no barrier to who you are in writing genre and no. stuff. It's all like if you right. write like this is some people want to write romance novels because they like romance novels and that's what they want to do or science mm-hmm. fiction or detective or whatever you know. Yeah. So if you have a, a eclectic taste, you like all different kinds of stuff. Do go whatever you want to do. Go for it. Yeah, man. I think, I think to that end, I think Stephanie's double meaning really applies here: gender or genre. Do what you want. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Along those lines, now we have a question from, uh, who's this? Oh, Jennifer Saunders, our writer friend, our poet friend in uh, Switzerland. The, the, all, the, the hockey mom. From the hockey mom. Right. She's a hockey mom yep. and a poet from uh, Switzerland. <laughs> from Switzerland. So Switzerland. <laughs> and she wrote me actually sort of a long email. And I, the question that I got out of it was, when you reach the limits of your narrative, do you then ever turn to poetry, feeling like you've gone past what you can do as a narrative, a fiction or nonfiction narrative, and you, the only way you can push it across the line is resorting to poetry? I'm not even getting close to the line with my fiction. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I am uh, poetry challenged. I have no problem admitting that. I, I'm not oh, but that's not true, Bob. See, like, like Bob, your 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 work is typified by wanting to have an emotional moment. True, and it's typified. You, I, I have known you forever. It's always you want more descriptive narration. You want the landscape and what you're writing about to to symbolize what's going on between the characters. Mm. I've learned this from you, mm. right? Mm. And you get incredibly poetical. You think so? So, so yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, like you, you're looking over and thing you're working on now. You're up at a. You're looking over the river in Mankato, and it's you know it's yeah. it's poetry. I mean, it's not in it's not in lines and stuff. Oh, right, know? right. Oh. But I mean, even I, poetry isn't in lines anymore. Sometimes I th- I think that's absolutely true. That sometimes you know you have your narrative, you have you have everything that you thought of in the story, and it's it's the way it's phrased. It's it's how you lift up the sound of the language is almost in certain ways more important sometimes than the thing that's going to happen. Sometimes I think you got you have your conscious idea of what you're trying to do here right. in your narrative, but then if you can if it 
you allow it to rise past that, either to push it or to mm-hmm. just follow it or whatever. And you can reach a, a kind of a point of, I don't know, ineffability yeah. where it's you're, you're evoking some kind of emotion, but you cannot summarize that emotion. You can't quite put your finger on it. This is what I get out of poetry. I finish a good poem and it's like, ooh, what just happened? Right. And I can't, I'm really not quite sure. You know, and, and I can go back and analyze it and say, oh, well, she did this and this and this, so I feel this way. But I think your prose wants to do that, too. Your story wants to do that. It wants yeah. to get past itself, right? And also back to her question about, you know, it sounds like uh, possibly if you you kind of uh, come to a, uh, a roadblock or whatever, let's say in your fiction, we all do it. And if you write, especially if you're writing long fiction, uh, I know people sometimes find it uh, beneficial to work in another genre for a while, mm-hmm. you know, and just let the other, let your book or whatever you're working on, let it sit there and let the words get to know each other a little better. And, and uh, that's right. You know, I yeah, like that. That's yeah, really right. Switch to a different genre and, and uh, write your poetry for a while and get th- those out of your system for a little bit. And yeah, maybe, so- you, maybe you're ready to go back to your fiction and finish up. I don't know. I think that would be good of, uh, of, of the poets to write some fiction too, yeah. And you know, I, I've I've I have taught both fiction and nonfiction for you know eight hundred and seventy five years plus too, and and I I I always have my fiction writers think more like an essayist where they have they put in more discursive material in their narrative. Uh, you know, I think you can make statements in fiction. Not everything in fiction needs to be borne out by an action. Mm-hmm. And the essayists, the nonfiction writers, are thinking that everything has to be statement, yeah, right? You know, and, and so mm-hmm. I say, like, okay, then you there to them. I say, make everything borne out by action. You follow? Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is with the proviso that, of course, I'm throwing out an extreme. You know, yeah. like, okay, make everything in your nonfiction borne out by action. And since you can't accomplish this, you're going to come a little bit my way. So you're going to. The nonfiction needs to be a narrative needs to be proven through scene and detail, mm-hmm. and a story needs to be told through pronouncements that the characters make, where they understand their world. Mm-hmm. In my view, I'm, I'm not. I don't. I'm not saying that's correct. That's you know these are a teaching point. Um, in terms of now that we're talking about uh, language in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another question here from uh, Robin Mink from just right over here in Eau Claire. Hi, Robin. I know you're listening. You, you're you're with us all the way, and we appreciate it. Yeah, man, Robin, you're awesome. Someday I'll run into you, and it'll be great. It'll be great. She Do goes, you need a drummer? By the way? She goes to. She does. I know you. You and her, you play great together. She got, likes to go to the jockey, not the jockey. The what's the bar in the, the joint. joint in Eau Claire? She hangs That's out right. there. The joint. I've been there. Yep. Yeah. Anyhow, greatest so, bars in the world. So, so she wants to know, uh, what does it mean if you're referred to as a stylist? What does it mean to be a stylist? You hear this all the time. Well, so-and-so is a jazz stylist or a, a linguistic stylist. Some authors maybe we think of as being stylists. Is it a compliment? Is it a criticism? Is it a, what is it? Is a stylist, is that the same as a, a formula, a, a- a person who writes by formula, you know, no. they say, you know, I don't think, no, I think it's think just it's the, the opposite of that. Thing. Yeah. It's a person, I think, who writes, I would think, well, I'm not going to answer the question. I, I, have well, yeah, I mean, it, it, labeling someone a stylist it, it, because of the manner they write in, 
it, it almost seems to me, and I'm sure this is wrong, but it almost seems like a stylus has, is using affected writing, affected speech. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I've never been clear on what a stylist is. You get any examples of an author you can think of? So you say that, and you're 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 putting a pejorative connotation on that because it's going to be yeah. affected speech, <sighs> or is it peculiar speech? Idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic, speech. something that's like yeah. like Vonnegut, for instance. You pick up. We've talked about this before. You pick up any Vonnegut, right. turn to any page, and. There's Vonnegut's style. Is he a stylist? Oh, well, right. That's just the way he writes. I would I mean, say that he's a stylist, but I don't think that, you know, to me, that's a very idiosyncratic, very put together, it's supposed to be that way, right? Okay. But that's not what we're, we're talking about, some kind of a, something that's florid, right? Yeah. We're talking about longer sentences. That's what comes to my mind. When so I language for its own sake, maybe? Like uh, you're an aesthete instead of uh, getting it to real meaning? So... Yes, I, I mean... That's in the pejorative, yeah. That's the pejorative, right? I mean, I enjoy reading... Uh, like, a, sometimes I'm reading David Foster Wallace, and I don't really care that much what he's talking about, but I like the That's way right. he's talking about That's it. That's right. Because right? he, 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 that boy's a stylist. He's a stylist. I was like that uh, in some of uh, the pages of uh, A Gentleman in Moscow, a book which I didn't care for, but some of the, some of the imagery and the way he is using a man confined to a major hotel in in uh, Moscow, he doesn't seem to run out of situations to put him in. It's just my complaint with the book was the situation they're putting him in. There's really not a lot <laughs> going on there. I just couldn't. Um, I, I it was one of the few books that I got about 300 pages into it and just started skimming towards the end. Was, Is anything going to happen? Yeah, I kept waiting. Okay, uh, I but mean, no, they, he so, just completely skipped over World War II, and right. he's living in Moscow the whole time. But no, yeah. is is that is that guy Amar Tolls? Is that is that how it's yeah. Amar Tolls? Yeah. 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 So that's a pro stylist. I would say. I would say, I like, would say I no. I, okay. I didn't think his prose so, was... So who do you think of? It sure seems think, like a style to me that he's writing in. I, I can't think of anybody to compare him to for... See, see, for me, I think the voice of the writer makes them a stylist automatically. So that means it's hard, it's hard for me to define it because I'm like, I'll apply it to anything. Like, like my idea of a style is like a bird that'll stick to any pant leg that'll come by me, you know? Well, like, it's, you know, like it, I, can, it, I can fix it to anything because... You know, even the Hardy Boys. What, what's your What's your buddy who wrote all those Hardy Boys? Franklin novels? W. Dixon. Hey, Mister Dixon, who was know? not even a single person, right? But that's but, a style. But there was a style guide. I'm right. sure there was a ten page thing about it's got to do this. It's got to have this much dialogue. It's uh, you know. So you want to talk about writing a rest- being a stylist, man? Your ass better stay within them lines. Right. That's a different kind of stylist. No. Though. So we're thinking like stylist is like... Yeah, it's the, one of those words that can be used in a lot of different ways, isn't it? Right. And I yeah. think like, well, my daughter, she works down at Salon Alon here in Appleton, you know, uh-huh. and she actually is a stylist. <laughs> Her stylist, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know? She was supposed to be here today, how, too. How would you uh, feel if uh, someone told you you're a, you're a stylistic writer? Would you would you think that's a compliment? Not stylistic. Or st- you're a stylist. Uh, you're a, a stylist. That would be a high compliment. To I've me. been told that. Although I've also told people because I'm I'm all you know like I'm all grammar driven and stuff. 
I've told, I remember Valerie Lakin, who was uh, just here with us. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, I was like, like man, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a pro stylist. And she goes, I, I never really would have thought of you that way. Like to her, what I write does not smack of being a stylist. You know, could it be the diction? Could it be my 500 and whatever words? Hmm. You know, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult thing to think of. I think we, we don't we equate being a stylist with being a virtuoso? No, we don't. Well, what are you thinking it is? Okay, well, I, I just in my own experience, I've had um, more than one person tell me that as a piano player, I'm a stylist. And mm-hmm. to me, what that means is I'm going to just play the way I play. You know, I would make mm-hmm. a terrible studio musician because I have been in situations where I'm playing piano for a commercial or something, and then the producer comes in and says, okay, play me some, like, like those Michael McDonald kind of chord, descending chord changes. You know, and I'm like, no, I can't do that. I can only play the way I play. And if you don't like the way I play, then call the other guy who can sound like Michael McDonald and Elton John and, and Victor Borg and, right. and everybody else. Because I am not that guy. I just play what I play. And it's, so it's, it can be a compliment or a criticism because like, I think we even made this joke before that my daughter is all my life, right. her life. She said, you know, I can tell without looking if it's you playing or not. Right. Yeah. Cause you play slightly drunk. She, she, I, she sound like I think we said this on a podcast. No, already. it's okay. It, she, you know what? That's yeah. never going to get old. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. She, she, it was not too long ago. She said, dad, I, I finally figured out what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like. You sound like you play like you're slightly drunk. So here's the thing, though: is that your voice on the instrument? Or Absolutely, is so, my but voice. So, so like that's what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm a. Is there is your is there a voice, and then there's the conscious style. Ah, that's what I'm thinking. I so think, like when you read somebody who's like, you know, who's that Milhauser guy that you like? Stephen Milhauser is a total stylist. Right, because there's right. there's no relation to what somebody would say aloud. Every sentence yeah. is crafted. Because it's a sentence, not because somebody would. But utter also, this to it's you. not like it's not said in a way anybody else would say it. Right. It's not, you know. So it's, and in fact, to to that end, I don't know if I told you this guy once. I, I met Ann Beatty once, who was. Uh, All right. Right. We talked about this already. No, we didn't. But I, I mean, oh, she's an interesting case with that. Okay. You know? She, I think, holds the record for New Yorker short stories. I think yeah. 129 stories. Absolutely. And I met her at a reading in Venice and uh, got to speak with her and chat a little bit afterwards. And we were talking about our favorite writers and stuff. And, and I said, and I mentioned Milhauser and uh, somebody else. I can't remember who also a very stylistic writer. And she kind of gave me this wistful look and she said, yeah, you know, I've always wished that I was, you know, had, had more of a distinctive voice like Stephen Milhauser. I just really love that guy. And I, I've always been envious of people that can do that sort of thing. She's probably been running that one up the flagpole for 50 years. But you know what? There is something. Right. I mean, she's the last person. I would not call her a stylist. She's not. It's the absence of style. Yeah. It's way. Some of her stuff. We have had this conversation. Right. Some of her stuff is incredibly compelling. I'm not saying it's not good. You know, it's, there's no pejorative here. Right, that's the problem. Right, that's the thing. You when you gotta, get into this, there's always kind of a, a we're just, value We're judgment. describing, not judging. Right. Okay? So she has a compelling way of writing. Absolutely. For sure. But I could not go to the middle of an, Alan, of an Ann Beatty story and say, oh, this is Ann Beatty. I don't know. Maybe Ann Beatty fans could do that. But she, anyhow, he, she seemed to be bemoaning the fact that she'd, 
seem to be acknowledging this very same point. I get that. Yeah. Take Larry McMurtry, for instance. Please. Would he be? You don't like McMurtry? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> this is the end this of the Acme writing Academy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Bob enough. have read all of Larry McMurtry. It's bad enough I don't like John Kennedy, too. <laughs> oh, well, that, that ain't nothing compared to Larry McMurtry. Oh, no. I like Mary. Would Larry we consider him a stylist? No. I mean, not in that way. No. Well, I mean, my yeah. my take from reading reading Larry McMurtry is that the characters are the most important thing. You're you it's very character driven. You are always. meeting people, and then the the characters don't necessarily have a an effete literary style. You know, mm. they're they're regular folks. And see now, once you say effete, now you're being judgmental, right? But I, I'm telling you, it's hard it, not to be. And the, right? this it's, is this is this is the whole thing in the arts is it, we 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 apply these values to it because there's some sense of competition among us, I think. You know, like, well, this writer's the stylist, they're trying too hard. I've heard this all oh, fucking time over mm-hmm. the years, you know? You hear about, I, I mean, it, it's easier for me to explain in music, you know? Like, people don't, you think of, like, the great guitar players who can play faster than you can ever imagine, you know? Well, he doesn't have any soul because he can play all that fast shit. It's not like, well, you it's know, not it's, like B.B. King's got soul, even though he plays with one note. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Trash- that is true, but anyhow. <laughs> no, see, that's the yeah. thing. No. It's like, so, so like, oh my God, this, you know, I think Steve Vai is my favorite example is this guy is unbelievably gifted musician. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean, like this is ear alone, maybe the greatest ear mm-hmm. of a generation, you know, but then people think that he doesn't have any heart because he's so great. Like everything he does, I mean, he's so lugubrious and fast and all this stuff. And like, there can't be any. Content. And I think the same way anymore about writers I consider to be stylists, you know, because it's the same thing. Man, I, I do, I know the language, but my natural voice is not all over the place. It's not virtuosic in, in nature. It's not. Actually, Mike, I, I kind of think you are something of a stylist. <sighs> I know. I just not not in the way like Milhauser was. Milhauser well, is. Well, See? no, in the way you are. That's the whole point of being a stylist. Well, is that my voice? Yes, or, it is. I think. Yeah. I, see, that's to the me, thing. it's just. If, no, but it's more than that. It's more than just having a voice, isn't it? it it's about it's about consciously manipulating your writing to, for stylistic effect. No, mm, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard it's to talk about one. this without I, talking I, out your ass, and that that's that's what's yeah. a, that's important yeah. to note. Yeah. Because stylist, there are value judgments here. Yeah. And we're talking out our ass when we have value judgments. Right. It could just be one of those words. It's like, you know, you, th- you th- throw that word and there's so many different ways to take a meaning out of it that, that yeah, you're I, just going to be chasing your tail. What, I what? always take it kind of in the negative. As you can tell from what I said when mm-hmm. the question was posed. I, I don't know why. It just seems like I, I, I want to just be able to write the way, you know, I hear it in my head. And have right. it come out on the page, and whatever style I write in, that's, I don't know if that makes me a stylist. I don't believe it does. It's just how I put the word on, on the paper. It's, I've always been confused about that one. It's, I don't see it as a positive. I always look at it as a negative. But like many times in my life, I'm sure I'm wrong about that, too. You know, and then I, I was trying to think of alternate ways to define it. What, is, what does Webster say about it? What's a stylist? I don't know. I, they probably I, don't have anything. I to never do. let yeah. my students quote Webster. You know why? Man. You know what I heard a long time ago? Somebody said. Some teacher told me they said a dictionary uh, 
tells you the definition of a word, but not the meaning of a word. Right. So, so I'm thinking like, so an alternate way to look at this is you've heard like, well, this writer, she, she, she's a maximalist. Or this writer, she's a minimalist. But yet then I, I find myself putting the same values on that. Like a maximalist, well, then it's going to get everything that's going on, you know, like, okay, she sneezed, you know, the, I don't mm. know, like every little detail. Right. And that seems to be a, you know, all that seems to be kind of literary to me. You know, not in a bad way necessarily, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas minimalist, you know, you're going to you know, knock the crap out and like, I'm just writing about my characters. Or even less. I mean, like even take, less. take uh, my favorite, uh, what minimalist, uh, Jenny Offel, Offel, Department of Speculation. Yeah. That's like as minimal as you can get, but somehow it's a compelling story where some people think, I do, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Funny, I liked it the first two times I read it. The third time I read it, I thought, eh. See, that's what happens with my books I'm working on, the ones I'm writing. <laughs> I, know, you know, I liked too. it when I wrote it out. Like, woo! <laughs> Second draft, well, third draft. So, so I, like, I, I want to go back to what Bob said about, you, you were saying, I hear it in my head, and then I, want to, I just want to put it down on the paper the way I hear it in my head. Mm-hmm. Is that a two-step process? Do you actually hear something in your head first and think, hmm, I'm going to take dictation from my head. Or do you just write and it's all kind of just comes out? When I've, let, let's say I've, I've, I've finished a paragraph, you know, and I'm back, leaning, leaning back in the chair and... With a self-congratulatory thinking, look on your face. Well, that depends on if it's a good paragraph or if I'm looking at it going, how did I screw that one up? Uh, <laughs> you go... I, I I don't know. It's uh, I, I I yes. I hear it in my head. I, I don't have any other way to put it. Uh, you know. But you're, I think I'm you're... thinking. I'm thinking. But I hear the words in my head. I hear how they sound in my head, and I think, okay, let's get that down on the page. Sometimes it comes out correctly, and other times, you know, you got to go, huh? Let's take this word and put it over. We were talking about that a few days ago, Rick, about how you can take a a perfectly good paragraph. And something about it just isn't right. And you're looking at each sentence individually, and they, oh, you know, let's shift a word or two around here. Ah, there we are. All now of a sudden, it all works. The rhythm, it all opens up. It's swinging now, right? Feels good. Yeah. But I do, the yes, yes. I, I can't, I can't sometimes. put it any other way. And that's the way I hear so it in my head, and especially with dialogue. Because mm-hmm. I live alone, and I spend a lot of time. And I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I hate to admit this, I talk out loud. Mm-hmm. in my home a lot of times to hear how things sound and it might not always be what i'm working on at the time mm-hmm. right but i i i'll sometimes have a conversation with people that aren't even there mm-hmm. because i'm working on the dialogue and i want to hear how it sounds out loud if it was spoken dialogue oh, I, you know I, 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 and it absolutely i hear it in my loud, head yeah. i hear it in my head and it goes on the page and a lot of times when i'm working on what would this person be thinking what would they be saying sometimes walk around the room and i start speaking out loud as like as if that person as if i'm talking to a, another person i know it's nuts but i've been accused of worse things i guess yeah, i well, think that's a hell of a good trait for a fiction writer absolutely yeah you yeah, need, the, you yeah, need yeah. to have them talking man you know, you need, yeah, you need to talk real it dialogue. Out. Yeah, and I, I, and most how people talk in dramatic situations. Is that That's, the dog? Yeah, running? the dog yeah. snoring. I love it. That's okay. 
She's well, the right thing is, she's not asleep. She just wants to go outside, so oh. she's good. You know. She's all right. We're here in Mike's living room still. Yeah. On the and you know what? This, this is something important to note. Dogs don't give a shit about who's a stylist. No, they, they just don't know who's got the food. Who's got the food? <laughs> I read an wasn't. article recently. You know what? That's what readers essentially want to know. That's who's right. Who's got the food? Who's got the food? Right. Yeah. It's not like, well, how is, how is the utterance in this one? Right. right. You know, it, it, to, ra- I, to wrap up that stylist thing, for me, it's I don't care what style you write in. Just tell me a, a good story. Keep me interested and engaged. And when it gets to that last page, make it satisfying for crying out right. loud. I've just invested a long time. Do you mind giving me the payoff? <laughs> Come on. I you know I totally agree with that, but this is this is my proviso. You know, get me to the payoff, tell me a nice story, but don't bore the shit out of me. Exactly. As and, we're and, if, and if there's no, if there's not the little English on the English, you know what I mean? In, in pool mm-hmm. terms, there's a little something to make it sound different or just yeah. just to let me into a different way of thinking about the world through the language. Then, then you got nothing then, too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so you have to have some style. Yeah, you, you got to. And I think just to continue the dog metaphor, I mean, like, <laughs> like Mary Helen is always talking about rewards for the reader. Yeah. Which is to say, dog treats. <laughs> every page, every paragraph should have some dog treats, you know? Because the yes. real meal doesn't come till later on in the books, book, right? Right. So you need treats to, to just, keep. Just to get you through the day, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is we're making we're committing career suicide here, aren't we? Comparing readers to dogs, but I but think we've that's, had that we have the most lovable dog here in the world. No, and, but I think I as a reader I want that too. Yeah. You know, give you me do. something. Right. Give I do. I, I want a story. I really do. I'm I mean, here listen. If I turn yeah. the page, we give another treat. That's right. Right. And that's why you know we yeah. talk about in our novel group, we talk about what do you want at the end of a chapter? That somehow you wanna get somebody to open to the next chapter. Exactly. You want to leave enough unsaid that the next chapter has to answer it, you know? And that's a form of treat. I'm just thinking, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a creative writing textbook, and there may have something to do with dogs. Yeah, there it is. And uh, I want dog treats for the reader is going to be a chapter. <laughs> okay. And nobody's going to buy it, so fuck y'all in advance. Well, maybe if you put some dog treats in it, somebody will buy it. <laughs> Well, at least they got something out of this. Your dog will like you, it, even if you don't. Somebody, so if you go over to the Kindle edition, then like you just they come separately in the mail. But here's here's a see here's the thing the problem I think you're having with gentlemen in Moscow is you've had you know dog treats on every page. It's pulled you to page three hundred, but like meanwhile you're sort of getting hungry, right? <laughs> yeah, it's damn like it's, hungry. It's time for dinner, right? And there is no dinner. It Let's just, eat. It's just more. You know, that was an interesting thing. This, yeah. this actually happened with, with human dogs that I know yesterday. We had this party here, and I, the idea was that we were going to have like a little bit of meat come off the grill every 30 minutes, <laughs> right? And we did. And yeah. it was a little snack, but there was two bicycle racers here, you know? Yeah. And like, like after three hours, they were both like, are we going to get anything to eat here, man? So I had to make them like a big vat of rice and... Right? Cause, right. Because they needed, they needed dinner. Yeah, and they burned up a lot of calories. Yeah. Right. That the treats were not going to work for them, right? But we were sitting around on our butts, so like whatever, we didn't need treats were good mm-hmm. enough for us. And that's what it was too. It was like it was funny for twelve hours, bites were just coming off the grill steadily. So you could just right. wander in the kitchen, yeah. have a couple bites of sausage, 
20 minutes later, wander back in, have a bite. So it was, it was a great party, but it would have made for a lousy novel. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, no. was, nobody was killed. We didn't have any fist fights. <laughs> damn it. Mike, damn the, it. the problem is all your friends are too smart and too nice. I mean, uh, here we got, we got 20 guys out here. There wasn't a single argument or no. fist fight or no, altercation. Everybody was having fun. Know? Nobody brought their brought out a gun or anything, right? And they, they weren't all of the same political persuasion either. Which we didn't even get into that. No, so why ruin yeah. a good party, right? That's why there weren't any fist fights this year. No politics last year. Well, of course, we don't remember last year if there were or not. So, <laughs> so anyhow, it's it's nice, Bob, to hear you uh, talking about your writing process, um, and I understand how. You, you sort of have to artificially bifurcate it. Yeah, I hear it in my head and I put it on the page, but it's really not like first I, I do this and then yeah. I do that. It's it's, yeah. it's kind of an all-continuous, right. contained. But right. it's nice to hear about your writing process because we are interviewing a mystery guest in today's podcast, mm-hmm. and that mystery guest is Bob Clark. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. The last Bob, I know who he is. Tell us your name. <laughs> Bob Clark. <laughs> and where are you from? <laughs> I'm from Mankato, Minnesota. And where, what do you do for a living? I do nothing. I'm unemployed. I'm retired. Okay. So, Bob, tell us. And actually, this is one of our questions. What compels you to write? <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer that. <laughs> Clearly, the answer is Mike and I. <laughs> yeah. 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 Write something, Bob, for pity's sake. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Wednesday, I want to see it in my inbox. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I've got my red pen already. <laughs> you know, no, no I, you know, that's okay. If you, I, you what if made, you want, yeah. I don't know what compels me to write as much as what made me want to write. And that was uh, when I was 11 years old. My mother uh, worked for the veterans. Uh, she, she was in the ladies' legion auxiliary, and once a month she would go on her day off, she would go to the veterans' hospital in Des Moines, and she was the, uh, the, the book lady. She filled the cart up with books from the VA library, and she would go around through the wards and change books with the veterans of Bedridden, what they wanted. And she was allowed to bring home books from uh, the library, check them out, because the little town I grew up in had no library. It was only 350 people. She brought home, uh, just checked it out for me. I hadn't asked for it, Call of the Wild. And I remember reading that at 11 years old, and I was just fascinated the book just drew me in uh i'd read some books but more like children's books and i i don't you know i don't right. i don't mm-hmm. consider a call a wild a children's book by any even though no. it's a story Jesus. about a dog uh told from the point of view of the dog you know right, right. um it, there was something about that book that just drew me in well i was a little boy i've got a dog and it was just the, the way buck was being treated and abused and everything man i was right there with that dog the whole way uh, when I finished that book, I was just almost, uh, I, I hate to use the word transformed, but I don't have a better word. I, I said, I want to give that a shot. I like this. Uh, perhaps I can learn to write things. That when you will, were 11 years old. Yeah. That's, perhaps that'll, I can write stuff someday that will make other people, or, you know, maybe another 11-year-old boy read my book and, and think, wow, this is life-changing. It was, uh, that's nice. what, I, like I said, compelled to write. Uh, I don't know about compelled to write. Write because 
you got a book out once, you want to know what that's like again. Right. You know? And it's not the... I, you know, I wrote, I wrote a small little book. I'm certainly not famous by any stretch of imagination. Tell, it's us, not tell the, us the name it's, of it. Uh, Flowers of the Denbaugh Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the any accolades or whatever you get. You know, good reviews are always wonderful. But it, it, not even that. You know, if people tell me, hey, I read your book. I like it. Okay, great. Nice to hear. But it doesn't make my chest puff up. I don't mm-hmm. feel like anything. I feel like, okay. Right. Better do it again, hot shot. You know? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Everybody loves it. And then they're, they're always asking you, what are you working on now? You mm-hmm. working on anything now? And we're thinking, well, I guess they're expecting it, aren't they? So I think the, the fear of failure, if, if we could say, say that, is maybe what compels me to write. That's so weird. So no, that's weird. fear so, of failing no. keeps me going at it. Because I, God damn it, I don't want to fail. I know I can do it, but it's the fear that yeah, maybe this one won't measure up. It's 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 interesting how you divide it into two halves, though. So, like, there's at one point, you know, when you're coming up, before you go, oh, I'm going to be a writer. Mm. You read books and go, Shh, right? So you read them and go, like, man, I, I want to do that. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, there's a, there's that's an interesting thing. Like, yeah, oh, I want to do that, and then you do it, and then it's different. Then it's more like an obligation. It's a job. Yeah, sort of yeah. Thing, it, it no, loses. no. But it, I mean, it is. Yes, you it know, is. and every well, how many people? You know, this is this is the first. This is why you never tell people you're a writer because you say, "Hey, exactly. I'm a writer," and they say, "Well, well, I'm thinking." They don't ask you what you've written. It's like, well, well, I'm thinking of writing a book. Yeah, I just thought I had, an, I could write a novel, right? Well, what's stopping you? Well, the impulse is amazing, and, and that's mm-hmm. what everybody has. You read and go, like, "Damn it!" You I know, I think one of the reasons is because when yeah. you're reading good writing, it looks effortless. You know, you're yeah. reading it, and it looks like, "Hell, I can do that." Except you know, when it looks certain, like there's nothing to it. Sometimes stylists stretch the. Well, there you go. Back to stylists. No, no yeah. right. Yeah. No, there's something to be said for for prose that is is just completely transparent, and you're not even aware of the prose as you're yeah. as you just, you know, the prose can dazzle you. It can be a dog treat, but it can also stop you from just immersing into the story. Yeah. And you're, uh, you know, having read your book, which I thought I think is fantastic. Thank uh, you. But, um, you know, you are a very clear writer, very straight I like, ahead. Very. I, I think of it as like as the writer. Uh, this is for myself, almost like I have people following along behind me. They're walking behind me, and I'm kind of pointing out to the crowd. Now, this guy over here is going to be the. You know, we get a, he's doing this. Just follow me. I'll I'll lead you through this thing. Right. Just mm-hmm. trust me. I'll take you where you want to go. That's what I like in what I, when I'm reading a book, that trust that you get between the reader and the author. You, it, it, I'm, if I'm going to invest my trust in this person, that they're going to take me to where I want to go by reading this book. You know, hmm. that's that was one of my complaints about uh, Gentleman in Moscow. The first hundred, two hundred pages. You know, I'm going okay. He's getting to it. He's getting to it. Right. But he just, I kept waiting, and he never would take me where I wanted to go. Uh, and and through, through no fault of his own, from everything, New York Times bestseller, Rick, you enjoyed the book. 
Mike, yeah, I don't believe so much. This is not a, we're not slagging off Amor Tolls. No, I mean, no, really, not at I all. I loved it's, the book and my not, mom loved it. And, I'm not yeah. saying anything bad about the writing. There's some of those, some of his uh, writing in there I thought was just beautiful. But beautiful writing for That's me and my taste just doesn't get me there. Right. I want something to happen. Right, right. And it's if something. you haven't read the book, the guy spends the, the whole book and his, spends his entire life confined in a grand hotel yeah. in Russia. Starting in, in what? Right after the, the, the Russian the, Revolution. Yeah, the Russian was, Revolution where he was... He was a, an aristocrat and, yeah. they, they, and Instead of shooting him, they agreed to confine him to this hotel. To house life. arrest they, they never leave the that ball. novel really easily. Huh? Just shoot him and then you don't have to read the book. <laughs> you know, I had one. Yeah. They call that objective correlative in the trade, I just want to say. <laughs> and he, he didn't get in any trouble when he left the Metropole to take Sophie to the to the hospital when she fell down the stairs, right? I don't he recall. went with her. Down, down the stairs? The stairs? <laughs> no, no. 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 You can see what I deal with here <laughs> on an Acme basis. This is what. Yeah, okay. Right. We're not doing book reviews. It's just yeah, right. an example right. of, of being with an author that you're, you're at first initially putting your trust in, and he's not. He's betraying the trust, I think. So, Mike, what do we really know about Bob Clark? <laughs> <laughs> Would you guys like me to leave the room? Never heard of him. <laughs> the bomb. El Clarko, as we call him. Mm. As he calls himself. Call myself. So like somewhere in there, you know, I, I don't even really know this part. And I've known you for many years. So what what happened? How, how did you all of a sudden decide that you wanted to be an author? Because it happened to you. You, you weren't just you, you I, didn't I, just wake up one day and start I, typing. No. I always did well on, on uh, writing you know, an English uh, assignment in high school or whatever is about the only thing that I really got into was, oh, okay, we get a writing assignment. You know, I just love those, and I always did really well in those. Mm -hmm. um, I was in school, in college, and taking my uh, uh, comp class, took it from Roger Sheffer, right. and he had, you know, do his, do his paper, descriptive narration, and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, you know the, the, right. the drill. And when it was done, I didn't know that they did this. They compile a little chapbook, the English department did at that time. And it was the first time I ever saw my name on a page right. like that. And there was my little story uh, on catching a fish, and it was a... Yeah, whatever. Uh, I went, wow, look at this. Never in my life have I seen this done. And I thought, you know what? If I can do this, oh, let's give it another shot. So I started uh, taking some writing classes there. And the only really writing classes I could get into were the upper level. And I was an undergrad. And I was able to get in some uh, the, the graduate students' uh, workshops. And really learned a lot there. And, um, you know, also learned just how damn tough it is to write well. The things you have to know to write well. The things you can't do to write well. Uh, that, that pushed me along. And also having uh, the workshops were valuable to me because you've got a, you've got a captive audience. 
everybody gets a chance to have people read your work. You know, I think I think there's something more though too. There there has to be something that matters to you enough to make you want to go through the whole effort. Right? I mean, even if if you're a stylist, maybe what matters to you is uh, linguistic juggling. Sure. Which is fair enough. Yep. Mm. But with you, what is it that that? Well, with was it my, your experience in the military? Was it a, with a, with that with my first novel? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think that was almost cathartic. Although I do not consider that a Vietnam War novel per se, even though it takes place during the war. You know, it's the hunt for a rare rare orchid in in uh, South right. Vietnam. Um, that one was probably just to. Uh, I think it was a bit cathartic for me. Mm-hmm. I've told people since, I said, you know, I was able to sit down with that novel and write Vietnam the way it should have been, not the way it was. Right. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yes, it yeah. does. Having read the book, it makes yeah. perfect sense. And, you know, the good guys turned out to be the good guys, and the bad guys turned out to be the bad guys, and, and we were all bad guys at one time, we were all good guys at one time. It, it was just really cathartic for me. There's some redemption in all that. Yeah. yeah. And it's still, I find it still some of the easiest stuff for me to write. Um, I, have, I have a deep connection to it, of course, uh, a deep emotional connection to it. And, you know, to, to go through, to uh, experience war and combat and to think that, man, you, you're not going to write about that. Uh, you're not going to, you know, get that down on paper uh, as as fiction, drama. I mean, it's just ready-made to be written about. The drama's already there. You don't have to come up with it. It's, I don't know. Hmm. I, I, I always say that I don't know. I do know, but I can't ever put it into words. There's something about finishing a project, finishing... Say you write it. You've just finished three hundred pages of a book, and you finally type the end. Even though you're not finished with it, you're going back right, to right. the beginning and go through. There's something that's so satisfying and so complete about saying, "Ah, yeah, okay, good or bad, <laughs> I I started, I finished what I started." So I'm, I, you know, what I was telling Marcello after I, I, I at fifty pages, I start writing a novel. Fifty pages. If I'm fifty pages in. It's going all the way to the end. I don't care. I am honor bound to finish what I started. Good, bad, or indifferent. I may throw it away at the end, but it's right. I've started yeah, it. By God, I'm going to finish the damn thing. That says something about your character too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, we're all different, and and uh, you, you, people think like you were talking about. You know, oh, I, I think I've got a novel in me. Well. Okay, <laughs> get to it. Get it out of you. Yeah, get rid of it. It's Let's not doing go. Anything in there? It's a weird, a strange thing that that writers do. I think it's a strange thing that anyone in the arts does. You know, whether it's music or or the visual arts, uh, it's where does the where does the desire to create something that did not exist moments before. Hmm. Where where does that come from? Not everybody wants to do that. No, no, so, no. But that's know, like my organizing principle in a way. You hmm. know, I mean, I could, I kind of think that's why we're doing this podcast, right? You know, forget about the five people that are listening to it. But you know, yeah. I mean, 
an hour before, there was no conversation like this. And soon, there will be. And, you know, we're happy to have just made that happen for whatever worth it happens to have. Amen to that. Yesterday at the party, uh, talking to some guys uh, uh, about Acme. What are you guys doing anyway? I said, well, for one thing, we're just having a great time Mm -hmm. doing what people that like to write do. Talking about writing. Right. And they look at me like, oh, okay, can you make a show out of that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously in, not. <laughs> Tune well, in and listen. I don't well, know. We can maybe. make a show out of it whether anybody listens is another <laughs> yeah, question. You know, you know yeah. it, it, doesn't it doesn't have matter. to be anything other than we're just enjoying ourselves and, and, and doing what we like to do. We like to, we're writers and we like to talk about writing. Right. We're, and we're not so uh, calloused and hardened by all our great success that uh, I talk about your writing talk about something else you know to us it's still a, a, a great thing to sit around and talk about that's right when Mike and I were in college together we used to go on long bicycle rides and all we did was was pedal and and we would stop take breaks and uh, talk about the books we were working on and yeah. at that time we were both working on our first novels and uh Mike's got published long before mine did, but eventually mine made it there too. And it was like, I want to know what that success feels like again. Mm. I, I want to, I want a companion. Look, at least, at least two of them on the shelf with my name. <laughs> I I can. So the one wasn't just a fluke. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. You don't want to be a one-hit exactly. wonder, right? One of the one of the best things I did when I was talking about the, you know the accolades and stuff. I, I don't really care about that. Just tell me if you enjoyed the book. Fine. If if you didn't, I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I went that, back. That's what we want to. The one listener left is always. We don't want to hear why you think our podcast sucks. Yeah, yeah. Right. we we know why they suck. Right. <laughs> we want to hear what you love about it. Right. And it's all going to be after after now. It's going to be we love the Bob Clark parts. That's right. I did. And two, now we know who Bob Clark is. I did. Right? right. The listener knows who Bob Clark is. I did two things, yeah, egotistical maybe. After my book came out, my sister down in Iowa, she she had a copy, and she says, "I'm I'm buying two copies. I want one for myself." I said, "What are you doing with the other one?" She said, "I'm going to give it to the, our little Bondurant library." Well, I said, "Cool." She said, "Sign it, please, before you send it down." You know, hmm. and I did. So I was. Uh, down in Iowa shortly after that. Well, actually, it was about a year later. And there was the little library in my hometown. And, and uh, I went in there, and it, it was just a place about the size of your house, Mike. And and uh, woman said, oh, can I help you? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a book. She says, okay, well, what is it? And I told her the name of the book, Flowers of the Denbaugh Forest. She says, okay, uh, yeah. And she looks up her little computer. Yeah, we've got it here. And she goes around, and she says, would you like to check it out? And I said, actually, ma'am, I said, I was born and raised here in this little bitty town. No, and I said, actually, actually, I wrote that book. No. I wrote the goddamn Do I know it? Hell, I wrote the damn thing. You know? And she says, oh, really? Well, how, that, how nice, you know? And I said, yeah, my sister donated to I said, but I grew up in this little bitty town. I raised a lot of hell in this town. There a lot of people said, I'll never amount to a hill of beans. And uh, I, just, I just wanted to come and my little hometown library and see my book on the shelf. Yeah, it was enjoyable. It was an, it was it it wasn't so much an ego thing as it was just a uh, uh, validation I that you, I didn't turn out yeah, to man. be such a dipshit after yeah, all. You don't even need a reason for it. 
That's just mm. the greatest thing. It was fun. It was a good it's feeling. It's just a great thing to a write a book and have it in the library of your hometown. Yeah, man. your little that's, hometown. Yeah. That's total extranet. That's all the big forces outside yeah. you conspiring yeah. to this I really didn't care event. at that moment. I didn't care about it. It was yeah. in any other library in the world. It was in my little hometown library. Cool. <laughs> that's very cool. Nice. Are we fading here, gentlemen? I think it's, I think it's uh, time to go. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, before we go, we got to say uh, a shout-out to Marcello Vasquez, who unfortunately couldn't be here with us because mm -hmm. he's down in Argentina with his family. Mm -hmm. Usually he's part of these conversations. We miss you, Marcello. Sorry you weren't here. Yeah. You but, missed uh, a good party yesterday. You did, man. You did. But, hey, that's cool. So I see the flag. The French flag is blowing out there. The sun is going down over Lake Winnebago. So are we. <laughs> We're going down over Lake Winnebago. What? <laughs> We're sinking. We're... <laughs> well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> oh, heck me. <laughs> Say goodbye to everybody. Right, see ya. Goodbye, Mike. Goodbye, Bob. Goodbye, Mike. Goodbye, Rick. Goodbye, Bob. Goodbye, Rick. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, Mom. I know you're Bye, listening. Mom, thanks, thanks for listening. Yeah, and, and, and a special goodbye to our listener, to you, the listener. Hang in Thank there. Thank you we, for joining us here we, on our on our Wisconsin Lake Winnebago adventure. Know that we love and appreciate you. This is the Acme Writing Academy signing off, wishing you a pleasant evening. Until next we meet, happy writing. <laughs> <laughs>